it is hard to run a profitable uh, childcare center. Like the margins are, are small and you really need to build a strong business to, to run this profitably. And so, you know, there's just a lot of high kind of fixed costs. You need a space, you need staff. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. My interview today is with Sarah Moskov. She is the CEO and co-founder of Winnie, a platform marketplace focused on helping parents find childcare. This is a very big problem that takes a very large percentage of parent spend. And Sarah felt the pain intimately and translated that pain into her very own startup. In today's interview, we discuss the origins of the company, how she has iterated on finding product market fit, and general trends in daycare and childcare that her company is at the cutting edge of. This is a really good interview, and she is a master of her domain, so I won't waste any more time. Here is Sarah Moskov. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Sarah, welcome to Go Deep with Aaron Watson. I'm excited to be talking with you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to start off. Um, I, I actually messed up the words. I was trying to write out how I was going to introduce Winnie. And I just wrote a child marketplace as opposed to a childcare marketplace. And that is oh, definitely boy. not what business you guys are in. Uh, so maybe you can t- take the reins from my hands and explain your business and the value that you're providing to parents across the country. Yeah, you're going to get us in trouble and like remove from the app store or something. Uh, So we are a child care and education marketplace. We really got our start helping parents find daycare and preschool. So really focused on group child care, licensed group child care across the United States. Uh, Parents come to us uh, searching for daycare, preschool, and now all other forms of care and education. We're starting to broaden and expand into things like camps and classes. Um, And then they can search and filter by the criteria that matters to them, whether it's the age of their kids or price or kind of program. So we're trying to make it really easy for parents to find the care and education that meets their needs and then connect with those providers through our platform who are kind of the other end of the marketplace. Uh, They come on Winnie, they claim their page, and then they use Winnie to get business to fill their open spaces. So this reminds me a lot of another company that we've covered on the show, niche.com, which is focused on uh, like universities and neighborhoods that one would potentially move into and kind of, you know, helping with that basic internet research that we all do trying to get legibility into one of these platforms. Um, so we'll link that for folks that want to kind of understand just another version of this business model. But as you explain it via analogy, via metaphor, Um, I know that in the early days, you're thinking of this as like a Yelp for parents, uh, but these platforms we see in so many different domains, Zillow, Glassdoor, like what's the analogy that you find is the most apt? Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of crazy thing is we started Winnie and we were like, how does this not exist? Because this exists for literally everything else we do in our life, whether it's finding a restaurant on Yelp or finding a job or finding a house. Uh, And these marketplaces are you know, really life-changing. They make the search that before, you know, you had to drive around and look for open house signs in your neighborhood. They make that search really easy, allow you to compare prices. And and that did not exist for 
what is for parents, like one of the most important and considered purchases they make, the, the care and education of their children. Uh, and so we, we almost couldn't believe that this was still a white space, um, but we, it was. <laughs> and there's, there's tons of analogies like you point out because it really exists for almost everything else in your life. And can you talk a little bit about how you got to this product in its current form? I know that um, using a net promoter score um, assessment was a big part of that. Can you just talk a little bit about the life cycle from uh, the early days to now? Yeah, so it's we're coming up on our six year anniversary of working on Winnie and it was a bit of a windy path. We really started not sure what we were going to build. We knew we wanted to build something for parents. We were new parents ourselves at the time and just really struggling being working mothers. My co-founder and I both had young kids and it took a while to figure out that childcare was really the big need for parents and that there was this white space when it came to your group childcare, your daycare, your preschool or your camps and that parents really were kind of doing things the old fashioned way. But it, it took a lot of building and tinkering with other ideas. Um, and we use this, you know, very common tool in, in product building, which is the net promoter score, where you basically see like, are, are people promoters of your product? Do they like it enough that they're going to recommend it to their friends? And what we found was that like, for all these other ideas we were tinkering with, like people were using it and downloading it and we could kind of drive growth, but they weren't promoters. Um, And it wasn't until we built what Winnie is today, this childcare marketplace that we were really like changing people's lives in such a dramatic way that they remembered. And when a friend was doing their childcare search, they were recommending Winnie. Um, And that was really the big, I would say the big difference between like having product market fit and not having product market fit. And we didn't really realize that until we started to measure uh, you know, the, the net promoter score. And when it starts to work and when you have that product market fit, is it really those referrals that people are making? That is the kind of key metric or the, the key thing that has been, uh, that you've attributed your growth to is it SEO? Cause this also seems like an SEO thing where yeah. I'm Googling best daycare, Northern Pittsburgh, I'm hopefully landing upon Winnie versus alternative, uh, sources. Yeah, we get a lot of our traffic, our parents that find us and, and also our providers that find us through literally just typing into Google, you know, daycare near me or preschool near me or on the provider side, like they may want to see what other providers in their area charge for their programs so they can set competitive prices. Um, so it is a lot of our businesses driven by SEO, but we still continue today to measure the net promoter score both for parents and for our providers, the daycares and preschools on our platform uh, to understand like, are we really adding value and how much value? Um, And so I think it's important that we don't just build a website that gets a lot of traffic, uh, but that people really find it useful and come back, especially on the provider side. Like these are businesses that constantly need new families as kids age out of their program. And so it's really important that when we establish them as customers, we retain them and and can be a lasting influence on their business. Yeah. It'd be fascinating to know what the LTV is for one of these childcare centers. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the big issues with the industry and, you know, challenges that we're trying to help with is like, it is hard to run a 
profitable uh, childcare center. Like the margins are, are small and you really need to build a strong business to, to run this profitably. And so, you know, there's just a lot of high kind of fixed costs. You need a space, you need staff, you need to pay that staff. And so uh, it is important that, you know, they run really efficient, good businesses. um, And that's not, you know, always easy or trivial to do. And so, uh, you know, part of Part of what we want to help with is, is that, um, you know, making sure they're not leaving spaces unfilled because that's the number one thing that makes these businesses not as profitable as they could be. And it's clear that a platform like yours aggregating demand, but also just making the entire market more legible to a new parent like myself, who's just trying to get a lay of the land. What are my options? What are my price ranges? Is a huge service to that. What have you learned about, and I'm sure you've passed this along to the the providers that are on the platform. What have you learned about the decision-making process that parents go through for this type of purchase? Price seems like one of the obvious ones, but but build off of that. Yeah. I mean, it's a very considered purchase for parents. You know, there's like the other end of the spectrum is like, you know, your, your Uber driver, like you don't really care that much who picks you up. You're just trying to, to get a car and get to where you're going. Um, and childcare is very different. You really care about who your provider is. And there's a big difference for you from one provider to the other. And the, the kind of big learning for us is that all parents care about different things for some are really price sensitive a lot are very price sensitive, um, but other factors can matter a lot too, like the location and the hours. You know, if the provider is in your price range and a great location, but they don't have the right hours for when you work, they're basically completely worthless to you. Um, so all these factors really matter. And then, you know, there's all this kind of secondary factors on top of that, like you know, do they do Spanish immersion? I'm really interested in my kid learning Spanish or is it a Montessori program? And so really there's, there's lots of information that parents need in this purchase. Uh, One of the things we're finding that's kind of a new trend is the decision-making process is getting condensed. So whereas before you might've gone and toured many different programs over a multi-week period, uh, submitted an application and then enrolled for six months in the future, now, you know, parents are, are finding programs entirely online. They may never set foot in a center before they send their kid there um, due to COVID. Uh, and so uh, it's really condensing the, the search period, which I think is, is actually a good thing for everyone, for the industry this, and for parents, if it can just be a shorter, faster, easier process. And if more of it can be moved online, there's really no reason you have to visit a center in person to find out you can't afford it, which was kind of the status quo beforehand. Um, So we're just trying to make it much easier to get kind of the basics out of the way online, save you time. And then, you know, maybe you can tour the one or two places you really think you might actually enroll in. That's a fantastic point because even just the the time saved by management for the daycare, walking everyone through individually versus even if they did one, you know, not that it's perfect for everyone, but a, a video tour, record it one time, get it up yeah. and make that um, digestible to someone in a digital format makes perfect sense. Yeah. And the daycares were really reluctant to do this. Like before COVID, they wanted to tour everyone with any possible interest before they gave basic information out like schedules and prices. 
Um, and then COVID, they were kind of forced to change their ways and they realized like, oh, actually this is a lot more efficient. I don't want to tour someone who can't afford my program. It's a waste of time for everyone. Um, so I think we, we are making a lot of progress on that front, uh, kind of quickly, which is good. Well, I mean, I think that that's the general theme, at least from my vantage point as an eternal optimist from COVID is yes, a lot, lot of tragedy associated with it, um, in all sorts of different forms, but a lot of kind of bad habits got shaken out and just cannot be able to persist after such a kind of significant cultural shift like that. And um, I'm curious just in general, what else you saw come out of it? Because one of the things that we saw, we did a a breakdown of the kinder care IPO that recently occurred. I need to watch that breakdown. I I did um, my own breakdown. So (laughs) we we saw, um, you know, them have just challenges with revenue in 2020, because a lot of people took their kids out of daycare, took their kids, you know, not necessarily willingly, like out of school because of safety concerns. And that also causes this stress on an industry that really, I don't know how it compares to say airlines and hotels, but it's kind of an occupation factor that's really determining profitability or not profitability on a month to month basis. Um, what other things are you seeing? Because anecdotally, as someone who just did the whole shopping around thing, it's hard to get in anywhere. I was looking at your map on Winnie actually before this, and it's like everything within five to 10 miles of my house is not that they're not, they're not openings. And then all the other openings are like 20 miles away. Um, so what, what's up, what's going on? Yeah. So right now the industry is facing a particular challenge, which is with staffing. So this was always kind of a problem in childcare, but it's gotten a lot worse, um, as a result of the pandemic. So, you know, overall, like we're hearing hiring troubles for a lot of lower wage jobs and childcare has been really notoriously underpaid and undervalued. Uh, and so these centers are having trouble hiring and retaining their staff who could go, you know, be a delivery driver for Amazon and possibly make more money. Um, and so we're finding some are responding by increasing wages, which is a good thing. Um, hopefully more will be doing that in the future, especially as more money gets put into the industry, hopefully from the government or from employers or some of these other sources. Um, but we also, uh, are starting to help with this at Winnie. So we actually uh, just built and launched a feature for providers where they can not only use their Winnie page, which is kind of their presence on the internet to recruit families, but also to recruit staff, um, to hire teachers, to hire other staff to run their programs. Um, and we think this is actually a great, like Winnie is a great place to do this because we do have such a large audience of parents and providers who can be great candidates for these positions, especially parents. Um, they're kind of an underutilized audience. Um, but you know, many of these programs offer free or reduced tuition if you work there for your child. So you get to work the same hours that your kid is in childcare, you get to be near your child, um, and uh, you can build your career in early education. So we we actually think there's, there's a nice fit here. Um, and so we're starting to help providers with that because it's a real problem. And it's the reason that these centers that would otherwise have more spots available um, kind of have to close classrooms or not take as many kids because they can't meet the ratios that are, they're legally required to meet. They can't hire enough staff. And I cannot think of a, a, a better baptism by fire, so to speak, in learning childcare skills than actually having, becoming a parent and having your own kid. Yeah. I mean, the, the other challenge with 
you know, some of these states and a lot of the kind of teaching positions to be the head teacher, you do need certain early education credentials. Um, and so there's, you know, an expense associated with becoming a preschool teacher. Uh, if we're not compensating these teachers enough, like who is going to go into this field? And so we really do have to increase wages um, and these businesses have to run more efficiently and more profitably to be able to do that. So right before COVID um, was the last fundraise for you guys at $9 million Series A in late 2019. And I have to imagine that a part of that was, uh, I know that a part of the fundraising process is talking about the TAM, the total addressable market and what this opportunity represents. And we've alluded to it earlier in this conversation that this is a non-trivial spend. Um, Basically like for me and my wife, it's our mortgage and childcare and our our daycare costs are like the two biggest line items. So I'm sure that was a part of the pitch, but what other parts just in terms of the market opportunity here got you so excited in addition to the obvious need for parents to kind of have this legibility? Yeah. I mean, I got excited to build this like out of my own need. Uh, But what I was able to get investors excited about was uh, the opportunity. And so like we started Winnie, you know, as I was saying, kind of like not sure what we were going to build. And we tried a bunch of things that not only didn't have product market fit, but weren't good businesses. Um, And so it's important to find the intersection of like solving a real problem, but also a problem people will pay money for. Um, Childcare and education for your kids under 18, so this doesn't include anything to do with college, uh, is $212 billion in the U.S. alone every year. So it's massive. So this is your, not only your daycare and preschool, which I think is around 65 billion of it, but, uh, you know, things like camps, classes, you know, even tutoring and aftercare for older kids, um, that's the 212 billion. So it's it's massive, it's a huge TAM. And then of course there's places outside of the United States too, uh, to expand to one day to, to make that TAM even larger. Uh, and so I think that is really the, the kind of, what made this such a, a ripe uh, area for us to work on was like the, the combination of solving a real need for parents and providers, but also a really huge market. Um, and now, you know, I think some of the challenge has been like making opening investors' eyes to that opportunity, you know, as they kind of look for the new shiny thing. Uh, and I think COVID also helped with that. Like it, it kind of brought childcare to the forefront, education to the forefront, and, uh, I, I already see things really changing, investor appetite increasing, um, to invest in childcare and education, which is great. And it's also in that arena of somewhat illegible markets that might actually be expanded by, you know, bringing a more legible service to them. So you referenced Uber before and not necessarily caring who the driver was. I can remember before Uber, a night out when I was much younger, and there would be, you know, just someone that kind of pulled up in a car, you know, <laughs> that was trolling the streets late at night to potentially drive you back home to your apartment. And that was something that eventually became, hey, we know we're calling the Uber and we're walking out and we know you know, at least who the driver is, where they're going, so on and so forth. And the original kind of like black car for for hire option, which seemed tiny, expanded into this much larger idea. Childcare in a similar way, there are all sorts of, you know, inter-neighborhood relationships where, you know, parents are passing the kids off house to house down the street. 
there's other um, characters who might not necessarily be licensed or regulated in the way that is is, is important. Um, so what else are, what else have you learned or seen from that vantage point as it pertains to this daycare market? Yeah, I mean, the, the amazing thing with childcare is a lot of these centers are not operating at full capacity. Even when they are full, they have spots every single day that are going unfilled. They That might be an afternoon spot from... 12 to five, it might be because some kid is sick and not in class that day. Um, and those spots just go unfilled. Uh, and that's because there's not really a, a good way to offer that spot. If someone calls in sick, like how do you flag to your neighborhood that you now have a spot available? Um, and, and we see a marketplace as really the first step to start to enable that. So, you know, just a simple example is one of the kind of really big searches on Winnie is actually for drop-in care. Um, we see tons of parents come to us looking for not their full-time daycare or preschool, but maybe an opportunity just for a week when they're in between options, or maybe because, you know, they need to go to a doctor's appointment and they don't, they may be a stay-at-home parent. And, uh, lots of providers actually offer it. Smaller home-based daycares tend to, to love to offer this service, but they don't have a good platform to do so. So that's just like one way that you know we can kind of open up a new form of care, which by the way, we think the world is kind of moving in that direction anyway. Yeah. I mean, that's really like a liquidity thing, almost in like the, the adjacent rooms or spare rooms of an, a yeah. house for Airbnb. Yeah. It's kind of crazy that this again doesn't exist because there's kind of we don't have to create new supply we don't have to invent new uh spots from somewhere which is kind of the thing that investors always love like where's the kind of latent supply it's like it's here it's it's already yeah. operating every day and they're just not full to capacity uh because the way we think about capacity is this really stringent view of a full-time nine to five space which isn't how the world actually works and isn't what parents are looking for. The Going Deep podcast is underwritten by Piper Creative. Shooting, editing, and publishing quality content is overwhelming. We make it easy so you can save time, build your brand, and grow faster. Say hello at pipercreative.co. So classic question associated with marketplaces is getting something like this bootstrapped off the ground. Yeah. It's relatively self-evident that, you know, this information super valuable to parents and what, so where the, the users would come from necessarily, but in terms of populating um, your actual website with this valuable information, yeah. what did it look like in the early days and how has that process evolved over the years of running Winnie? Yeah. So in the early days, it was a lot of integrating with the state licensing authority pulling in information from the state, which is public, but really hard for parents to find themselves on all the licensed child care providers. But increasingly, most of our data comes from the providers themselves. And so there, there was like this time when we really had to bootstrap by getting a lot of the data ourselves and that the data we could get was really limited because a lot of this was not on the internet. And having a model where it starts to be the case that providers, the supply provides more and more of the data. I think like that was a really important dynamic we needed to see working. And when we saw it starting to work in certain markets, like we knew, okay, this is kind of a sustainable thing where we can 
we can start by integrating with the state licensing database. We can get the information on licensed daycares and preschools, but we really need the providers to come on board, claim their page on Winnie, update with stuff like their prices and whether they have openings, which is information that is constantly changing and really only they know. Um, so it was important to kind of see that switch from the majority of the data provided by us to the majority provided by the supply. Makes sense. Can you talk a little bit about the business model? We've talked about Zillow before. A lot yeah. of their businesses leads for real estate agents. Niche.com, who we referenced at the beginning, uh, leads for the universities in the form of the students. Yeah. Um, how's that work? Yeah. So our business model is our customers are the providers, the daycares and preschools and camps and classes. Uh, parents use our product entirely for free. There's no way for parents to pay in this process. They're paying for childcare, which is hard and expensive enough. We don't need to charge them anything on top of it. Um, and the daycares and preschools are the ones that are growing their revenue as a result of using Winnie. So it, it just naturally fell into place that they're the ones that are willing to pay for our services. Um, so right now, the number one service that Winnie provides is lead generation. Like it is the reason providers typically come to us and start paying us. Um, but increasingly, uh, we are um, trying to provide them with other tools and services like their page, which by the way, now for most providers gets more traffic than their own website. Um, these tools and services that uh, are you know, very important for them to run an efficient, profitable business. So, you know, the other example of uh, the feature to help them get staffing leads. Um, we we want to to not just be you know, kind of lead gen for them, but also um, start to to help them in other ways. Uh, and and we think you know we we can. We're a kind of product and engineering driven company. And so there's lots of other things we can build and do that would help them run their business better. What also seems like, and I'm sure they have other avenues to getting insights like this, but as the platform gets more and more traffic, more and more queries within your search engine for daycare near, daycare near me, um, Spanish immersion, like you referenced before, that you would be able to offer an information product that would inform future, if, if it's a franchise model or if it's an expansion model for, hey, you know, this geography, this neighborhood, this whatever really, you know, is underserved in the daycare market, in the whatever market. Yeah. And that would basically inform development opportunities. Yeah. Right now we kind of do that for free for our customers. Um, and, and we actually, we do a lot for, for free. Um, and I think this is, you know, what we're starting to, to realize is like, we are providing a lot of value. And I think marketplaces need to do this to grow. They, they give away a lot of value. They don't capture all that value. Um, right. But yeah, this is, you know, some of the stuff we're starting to think about is like, how do we package a lot of the stuff that we are doing for our customers and start to think about it as like a value add service. And, and, you know, as we think about things that way, we would, you know, naturally be incentivized to do a better and better job at it because it's, you know, something they're actually paying for rather than just like a thing we do when they ask for it. So as we aim towards wrapping up here, Sarah, um, I want to talk a little bit about your background before starting Winnie and really, you know, you, you've been at Postmates, Twitter, YouTube, Google, these really kind of successful and, and blue chip technology companies. 
And a common kind of query that we get from, from listeners, from people that attend our events is, you know, I'm in corporation ABC, startup XYZ. I kind of want to go and start do my own thing. Um, and I, I'm not sure, you know, do I need more seasoning? Are there more lessons that I can export from this big established business into my new one? So in, in whatever order or with whatever um, kind of specificity you want to from those past experiences, what have you taken from roles like being head of product into starting your own thing that you found really valuable? Yeah. So first of all, I, I do recommend that young people who are starting out, like do join a, a larger company or at least one where they feel like there's really people that they can learn from and grow from, because I think that is a huge value added of working at some of these larger companies is you see, you know, experts, amazing people in the roles doing these jobs and you can really learn and, and know how it should be done. I think the other really like thing I didn't value until later was, you know, the people you meet and the connections you make at a larger company are, are super valuable. Like these are really talented individuals who will go on and do amazing things in their careers. Um, and so you're now connected with this network of amazing people. Um, but not to shoot myself in the foot at Winnie because we are hiring. <laughs> we would love uh, newer grads uh, in addition to really experienced folks. Is there's also kind a lot of roles? Of, uh, we're always hiring for engineering and product. We're now also, you know, trying to staff up on the sales side. Um, so some interesting positions there and marketing. I mean, we are trying to also be opportunistic. So like for talented people kind of have like a general apply for whatever thing on, on our website. Uh, and, you know, we, we want to hire the best. So anyone in the US because now we are remote first. So um, we still have an office, but we can work from anywhere. Um, but yeah, the, the benefit of a smaller company and like Postmates was a pretty small company. When I joined, even Twitter was relatively small. It was a couple hundred people. Um, is, you know, the, the hats you can wear, you can, you know, you're not so uh, specific in your role. You can try lots of things and branch out and typically move around in the organization and up in the organization faster, um, which can be a great experience for then starting your own business where you have to wear all the hats and do all the things. Uh, and I think for me, it would have been really jarring to go from like Google to starting my own company. And it was good to have experience at smaller companies, uh, at least at the time they were smaller, uh, to see, you know, what does it look like when you have to do some of these things yourself? Um, how do you think about, you know, hiring for these areas? When do you know when it's time to hire? Um, how do you, you know, present to investors or your board? Um, those are experiences you really only get at a smaller company earlier on in your career. Right on. Any specific hats that were challenging to put on for the first time upon starting Winnie? Yeah. I mean, I thought when I started a company, I would get to be the product owner. Uh, my background is product management. I was just excited. I teamed up with an amazing product thinker, Ann Halsell, who is now our chief product officer. And I was like, we're just going to get to like build great product together. It's going to be wonderful. Like 
so much fun. Um, and it was for the first, you know, year we were just like, we were writing code, we were coming up with product ideas. Um, but quickly it became clear that like for the company to grow, I needed to do things that weren't product. And actually like, I couldn't spend any of my time on product and engineering. Uh, so things like raising money and hiring and press, um, and things that like the CEO is really only positioned to do. Um, that was a little bit in people management, you know, managing the team um, and the talent. Uh, that was a little sad initially to come to terms with that like, it wasn't gonna be just like all fun and games tinkering around. Um, I needed to build a actual company, but I've come to terms with that and embrace my new role. And also now I'm proud to be like the worst product person and definitely the worst engineer uh, at Winnie. And so happy to cede that to all the folks who are better at it than me. Well, that's actually such an archetypal story that we've covered in the past year with the person that gets into, you know, starting a bakery because they love to bake and then they build a successful bakery and they hire bakers. And now they're kind of managing bakers as opposed to being that baker in, in, in a similar way. So a lot, a lot of familiar threads there. Yeah. I mean, just the other day I wrote like a launch announcement, um, that we were going to send out. And then I, you know, I kind of drafted up an idea I had in my head and then I send it, sent it to our, our marketing, uh, woman, um, to, you know, get it ready. And like, she just made it like 500 times better. Like it, it was like, not even, it was so embarrassing what I had initially written compared to, her, her take on it. Uh, and I just realized like, yeah, this is, this is building a company. Like you hire people that are 500 times better at the role than you are. Um, and my job and my superpower is like, can I find those people? Can I retain those people? Can I put them in the right roles to shine? Um, can I, you know, challenge them with the next set of challenges and experiences? And it's not going to be writing the amazing launch announcement because I'm going to I'm going to always be worse at that. Right on self-awareness. But uh, if you want to go far, go together. I'm just messed it up. You want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together is always the best way. <laughs> but she also did it faster than me. So <laughs> I don't know. Awesome. Sarah, this has been fantastic. I want to aim towards last, asking the last couple of questions, but I've got a rule. If I ever am interviewing someone and they're doing something that I have never seen someone else do before, I have to ask them about it because when else will I get the opportunity? Um, so on your Twitter page, you have linked out to an OpenSea collection for folks that are not familiar with what OpenSea is. It is a marketplace for NFTs, which is amongst other applications, a way for selling artwork in, uh, you know, without going through some sort of uh, middleman. It's a kind of open marketplace concept. OpenSea has absolutely blown up over the last year, um, and the application or the, the route that you've taken um, is having one of your kids actually, you know, produce artwork there on OpenSea. So just, you know, in, in whatever terms make sense, tell me about the decision to do that. Uh, I think it's super creative and interesting. I was like, wow, that's so cool. The moment I saw it. Uh, but just take us through the, the thought process there from a parenting standpoint. Yeah. I mean, I'm really interested in like crypto and web three and NFTs, but I also, you know, have a company and a full-time job. Um, 
And so, you know, one of the things we we pride ourselves on at Winnie is like just the ability for, for folks to develop professionally. We have a professional development budget where people can apply that towards anything they want to learn um, or do uh, every year. Uh, it doesn't have to be related to their job function. And so, you know, similarly, I think it is important, like as the CEO, when there's new technologies out there that are gaining a lot of momentum that I like have some understanding of what's going on. Uh, and so it was important for me to kind of like learn about what is going on with crypto and NFTs. Um, but uh, because I don't have any talent myself, I again, like had to tap someone who was a much better artist than me. So I took my uh, six-year-old's artwork and she is on board with this. She is doing it with me. Um, I have her permission. Uh, in fact, there are a number of pieces she does not let me put on, on OpenSea, uh, but I, we created this uh, persona Crypto Bryn. Um, her name is Bryn. Uh, and so Crypto Bryn has a collection on OpenSea and it's been fun to just see how it all works. Uh, and I, I feel like the best way for me, at least to learn something is just by jumping right in and doing it. Um, so I've just been having fun with with that. And it's also a nice, a nice way to bond with my daughter because she now gets really excited when one of her crypto Bryn pieces sell um, and is really proud of that. Uh, so it's also uh, a good way to share one of my interests with her. Right on. Well, tell her I like the Fox drawing amongst the others. And uh, we will <laughs> link that and all the other good stuff uh, in the show notes for this episode. Sarah, before I ask the standard last two questions, anything else that you were hoping to share today that I just didn't give you the chance to? Uh, no, this was great. I feel like we covered a lot. If um, you know, folks are looking for childcare, check out Winnie, Winnie.com. And if folks are looking for a job, check out Winnie.com slash jobs uh, because we are, we are hiring. Right on. We're going to link that in the show notes for this episode, going deep slash podcast for every episode of the show or in the app where you're probably listening to this right now. Um, also going to link Sarah's Twitter as well, which is a good follow. Uh, you had a nice zinger on, um, What's the guy from my first million? I can't think of it. You 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 roasted him pretty good here a couple oh, weeks ago. Boy. Yeah, probably. I'm I'm big on uh, dunking on people on Twitter. I love it. <laughs> um, so before we let you go, Sarah, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge to the audience. Yeah. So my personal challenge is for those of you that have children in childcare, in daycare, preschool, or in school, um, is to talk to your, your childcare provider or your teacher uh, and ask them, you know, one way you could help. Uh, I think we just take these uh, educators for granted. Um, and, you know, we've all seen over the pandemic how essential they are and, and they are, you know, in need of our help right now, it's also a great thing to do around the holidays. Ask, you know, if there's a way you could get involved or help in the new year, um, whether it's a small way or a big way. Uh, and if you are not a parent um, or you you don't uh, know any childcare provider or educator, you can ask to help. Um, I would say ask to help a parent. <laughs> um, and uh, they they also, uh, many of us are, are struggling and challenged, you know, still it's the case 
that we are still very much in the thick of it for us with, with young children who are not yet vaccinated, the, the under five set. And so, you know, if you, if you have the, the capacity or the ability to do anything to help a parent, you know, I am sure they would appreciate it. Amen to that. And one of the, um, the underrated qualities of things that are people remember as being kind, because, you know, hopefully we're always kind to our family, our friends, the people that are close to us. Uh, but when someone does something for you that wasn't required, it wasn't expected, it wasn't out of any sort of obligation, even a small act um, can really resonate with someone as an act of kindness. So I think that your challenge is perfectly in line with that, Sarah. Thank you for uh, sharing it with us and for coming on the podcast. Awesome. Thank you for having me. We just went deep with Sarah Moskoff. Hope we're not there. Has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to my interview with Sarah. If you enjoyed it, then I would encourage you to also check out our past interview with Luke Skirman. As I referenced in the interview, his platform niche is a very similar business and business model. And if you pair these two together, you will have a much more coherent picture about the challenges and opportunities associated with building a marketplace. It's linked in the show notes. Also hit subscribe because we have another great episode coming next week. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.